Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. I would like to open with 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then I want to turn... To Hebrews chapter 5 and start with verse 11. We have much to say about, about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so we ask ourselves the question, are we growing and maturing in the Lord? And I think to answer that question, we ask, what are we doing to grow closer? I mentioned a few weeks a week or a few weeks ago, the idea of pick a book and just study it deep. I was, I was in a program uh, in high school called Bible Bowl. We did different, they, they would pick ballpark 50 chapters per year, and people would dig deep. And so those are the, I, I've, those books I remember very well. We did Joshua, Judges, and Ruth one year. I would say I know those books very well. I mean, you read them daily for a year. And we hit a point by the time that school got out in summer, we were reading those daily. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Um, we did First and Second Kings. Uh, and we did, one year we did Daniel, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Peter, Jude, and Revelation. And if that sounds like a lot, a lot of those are short books. It was only 51, 52 chapters. Um, since that time, I've tried to learn Matthew. Re- you know, if I had a gospel that I, that I dig in, I like Matthew. I have, it, I have it on DVD. I have a cheat. But, but I try to watch it a lot, and, 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 I, and I want to know my way through the Gospels. When I was in Bible Bowl, I got, I got the Bible on cassette, at least the books that we were doing, and would try listening to Joshua and Judges and Ruth on cassette while I slept. I thought, if I sleep, it'll soak in. I have zero proof that I learned anything in my sleep. None. I did not wake up and suddenly blah. I did not like at times have to go to quote, when did I memorize that? It doesn't work. You can't sleep through spiritual growth. I tried. <laughs> I literally tried to sleep through learning the Bible. It doesn't work. I, we make our Bible reading, I think, too private. Um, we are to talk about 
the Bible, about what we're, about what we're doing. We, we talk about everything else, right? We talk about shows, the TV shows that we enjoy, the music that we listen to. Um, man, the internet is just full of noise about things that arguing about whether or not the new Indiana Jones movie is good or bad, if there's too many comic book movies out, and all of these things that we, that we, that we talk about. We talk about things that don't matter. John Bunyan was a Christian hundreds of years ago who wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. That's what he said. But John Bunyan said, when Christians are walking down the street, he said, they should be talking about the scriptures that they read earlier that day and, and talking about what it means. And this should just be casual conversation. And I've never, I, I don't see us do that. I went to a church in Lincoln, that, in Lincoln, Illinois, and they passed a rule. Now, this is radical. They passed a rule. When you come in the church doors, no casual conversation. No talking about TV shows, no talking about music, no talking about what you're going to have to eat later in the day. Once you pass the doors, it is that John Bunyan spiritual conversation only. Now, to be, to be fair, one, this was a very radical church. I mean, these guys did things that you read about and think nobody would do that. They, they were kind of into that. That's kind of what they, what they founded that church for. I, I will also say, you talk about radical, as property would come up near the church, they would sell their house and move closer. And they kept doing that till eventually they were the entirety of the two blocks around the church. So they were in each other's life. It's not like they didn't see each other except on Sundays. They saw each other every single day. So they didn't need to bring those conversations to the church. I get that many of you only see each other once a week. So I'm not, I'm not saying we should get rid of casual conversation in the church. But I like the idea of being radical enough to prioritize that which matters, that which is spiritual. Um, we should set ourselves goals, and not to lose weight or walk so many miles. We should set ourselves spiritual goals. Yours are going to be different than mine. Um, I've been studying the book of Matthew for a long time. I'd like to know the book of Matthew a little bit deeper. Somebody might say, oh man, 28 chapters, that's too much. Jason, I think I'll, I th- I think I'll do James at five chapters or something. Set yourself a goal. Because there's that old adage, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up somewhere else. Set yourself a spiritual goal um, and, and work towards it. And so with that in mind, we are in Nehemiah chapter 13 as we finish up our study on the book of Nehemiah. Um, and it is a time to evaluate our lives. Uh, I want to talk today about what we said a minute, practical accountability. That was one of the things John Bunyan was after. That's what this church in Lincoln that I was a part of was after, practical accountability. We're so bad about mind-your-own-business mentality. And we take that into the church and then wonder why people crash and burn and nobody saw it coming. Um, We don't reach out. Um. My dorm dad in college, uh, his name was Alan. Uh, Alan said, used a phrase that I will always remember, and other people have said it. I know he wasn't the first to say it. He was the first I heard it from. The Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. And we feel that. And that's why we're not accountable, because we're terrified. If I confess I, anything that I'm struggling with, they'll shoot me. 
I won't be welcome in the church anymore. They'll be constantly glaring at me and looking at me and picking out faults. The opposite should be true. We should be the safest place, safer than the rest of the world. That here, we all recognize that we're sinners struggling to draw close to God. Some days it is a struggle. We're kidding ourselves if it is, if we think otherwise. Struggling to draw close, and if somebody says, this is what I'm struggling with, we say, praise God that you felt that you could trust me with that. And so let me in turn help you and, and, and help encourage you. Accountability is not, something to be, it's not supposed to be something that we're scared of. It should be something that we look forward to um, because it's the best way to grow. So we're in Nehemiah, and, and what we read in chapter 13, Nehemiah goes back to King Artaxerxes. We don't entirely know why. Um, he, he had been someone important in the court of the king. It doesn't, surpri- it doesn't surprise me that when the king let him go, it was, you have X amount of time, and then I expect you back. So he goes back to Artaxerxes, and then he hears he needs to go back to clean up some stuff. And that's where we're at in, in chapter 13. Um, he had to make some reforms. Someone had to hold the people accountable to what they knew they were supposed to be doing. And nobody likes account. We don't like accountability. It's the struggle. But it's so important to our faith. I have to confess, I'm rather surprised at just how much the books, we say in English, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the Hebrew people felt Ezra and Nehemiah was a single book. Um, how much is on the subject in these books, this book, on the subject of accountability? Um, how important is it to grow in faith and maturity? Is it important enough to be held accountable? Or like little kids, do we just stamp our feet and say, I can do it myself when we can't? Because again, we remember, if I could get rid of sin on my own, what do I need Jesus for? And what do I need the church for? If I could do that on my own. But I can't do it on my own. The church is a gift. And we need this gift of accountability. So we have some questions today. But a prerequisite that goes, to me, goes without saying, but I want to say it. I believe, and I'm grateful that I serve in a church where the leadership believes, and therefore it's easy that we're on the same page, that the Bible is... Inerrant, sufficient, infallible, authoritative, divinely inspired. It's universal for everybody, and uniquely, it is the only book that is all of that. Which means, when I read something in the Bible that tells me what to do, and I disagree, I'm wrong. Just that, that simple. Uh, the Bible is always right, and if I'm not living according to the Bible, I'm simply wrong. That is my prerequisite for tackling Chapter 13. Now, I will say that there are things in the Bible that happen that the Bible doesn't endorse. It's very easy to read things. Last week, we read about Jephthah, the judge of Israel, who makes this stupid promise. God, if you let me win this battle, I will sacrifice the next thing that walks out my front door. God never wants human sacrifice. We know how this goes. His daughter walks out the front door to hug him. He never wants human sacrifice. Um, Jephthah should have never made that promise. The Holy Spirit was already upon Jephthah. And... 
just because that event takes place, I think it's a horrific event, and I don't remotely think that, frankly, Jephthah should have even kept that promise. It was a promise that shouldn't have been made, and God wasn't honored in the keeping of that promise. Just because that account is in the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible endorses that, okay? There are things that happen in the Bible that are bad. And sometimes the Bible doesn't have to tell us those things are bad because we're smart enough to realize God doesn't want human sacrifice. Um, That passage doesn't end with, and Jephthah sinned, It doesn't have to tell us that, right? We know that. But there are commands in the Bible um, that we are called to follow. And I think that we look at Nehemiah chapter 13. It's it's got some tough bits to get through. may make us squirm a bit, but that's okay. Sometimes squirming is good if if, if it gets us to understanding God and his will for us better. And so, my first question... The question that Nehemiah says to the people, and we'll read this. I want to ask the question, then read the passage to go with it. Nehemiah's question to the people, why are you selling out to our enemies? Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. He has appeared previously, he is an Ammonite. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all of this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense." I knew of a preacher who applied at a church and went to an elders meeting before he was hired they invite and what he heard the elders discussing was they had agreed to purchase something and then they found a better price and they'd agreed with someone to purchase it from and then they found a better price and they said "Ooh, can we get out of this first agreement oh yeah we only shook on it we can get out of that and this preacher said, I don't think this is going to be the church that I want to serve at. <laughs> the handshake isn't good. I don't know that any other agreements made between me and the elders are, gonna, are going to work out. Their, their word is not their bond. Um, can our integrity be bought? Yeah, we might pay a little extra for, for that. But I think integrity is priceless. Uh, we, I, I, I don't think you can buy it. Christ died that we could be Christ-like. We, we often want to take the easy way out, pass the buck on to others, dodge responsibility. 
As Christians, I think we often preach, you can't serve two masters, and Jesus specifically says God and money. But man, we sure try sometimes. We like to try to be the exception. We're, we're going to be that camel that, go, that, that goes through the eye of a needle. Somebody's going to be able to do it, and we can do it. We have become so materialistic. You know what I mean. You see it on TV the way that I do. Our culture is all about money and what money can buy. The reputation of the church is that we're after people's money. Everybody says that. And some churches feel like they are. And sometimes we cozy up to dishonest people and sometimes illegal practices even. I've heard of churches doing kind of weird property things, donate your property to the church. It's church property. You won't have to pay taxes on it. The church owes it, but we'll let you keep farming it. And There are some shady things that some churches have done that destroys the reputation of other churches around them. We need to make sure that money's not... Now, to be clear... Money is how we keep the lights on. I don't want to make it sound like money doesn't matter. But the purpose of the money coming in is so that we can minister. I mean, that, that's, that's, the purpose. That's, that's the purpose. We we distribute some of that money to the missions that we support, and the rest of the money, the goal of the money, is to make sure that we can continue to share the Word of God effectively in our community. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3. For those curious about what the big deal was with Tobiah the Ammonite living in the temple. Moses tells the people, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the tenth generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread, water, and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam son of Beor from Pethor in Aramnaeraim, to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Now, first off the comparison. Churches sometimes get a... a You'll occasionally hear somebody, if the, if the church really cares about the homeless, they would let them stay in the church. We legally can't. I mean, this church is not fit. Two reasons. Number one, you legally aren't allowed to do that. Yet You can't put people in something that's not residential and just say crash here. Different if there's like a tornado sweeping through the city, please come inside for the hour while it's happening. But churches can't house the homeless. Number two, um, if we like our sound system and the other things that we've bought, Take, taking people in it, it risks everything that's in the church, computers and sound systems and all of that stuff, and we've seen that in this church. But the comparison here is that in the temple, we're not talking about a synagogue, one of many dozens, hundreds of synagogues that, that popped up throughout Israel. In the temple, there was a storeroom, and Eliashib let this guy, Tobiah, live, and he wasn't Jewish, and he was, an, he was one of the people earlier in Ezra and Nehemiah that was threatening. We won't let you rebuild the wall. We'll kill you if we will. This was not an ally of the people of Israel. So this is not some ancient racial prejudice from hundreds of years earlier that had, uh, that had run its course. Tobiah was still an enemy. 
But even if he wasn't, there was a rule. No Ammonites are allowed in the temple. Uh, and, and that was God's rule. That was not a rule that, that the people voted on out of anger. God said, no Ammonites, no Moabites in the temple. Now, is God racist? No, I think it's interesting that we're talking about the Moabites because the most famous Moabite in the Bible is a girl named Ruth who has an entire book about her, a short one though it is, a book about her, her, she is the ancestor of King David and the kings of Israel. But the book of Ruth is very, very clear um, when her mother-in-law leaves to go back to Israel. I'm going with you, your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you go, I go, there I will stay and be buried. Um, Ruth quits being a Moabite easy for us to see national especially post post independence day to see nationalism you know my country's better than yours israel's better than ammon um that's not the point that's going on here this is about faith and religion king david had philistines in his army but they no longer called themselves philistines he had people called gittites gittites are from gath one of the five cities of of the philistines but they quit calling themselves Philistines. And when, they, and when they joined David's army and became part of Israel, um, they now, Ruth is sometimes called the Moabitess. Uriah is sometimes called the Hittite because they didn't have last names back then and people used little taglines to represent this is a different Ruth than the one down the street or whatever. But all of the people that we read like Uriah and Ruth and the Gittites, they gave up who they were to be part of Israel. Very, very, the Bible is very clear on that. Tobiah definitely did not do that. He was still an Ammonite. He was still an enemy of Israel. That's, God is not a racist. Um, we, re, we might ask some questions as we read through this. You know, I, I have the big question, why did Eliashib think that this enemy of Israel should live in the temple itself? That astounds me. Um, why, why is he chummy? Knowing that this guy was an, was an enemy of Israel who wanted to see Israel not be Israel, defeated, overthrown, why is the priest friends with this guy? Because it's got to be, to me, politics or money, I can't, or intermarriage. I can't come up with any reason why you'd be friends with someone who wants your people destroyed. That part concerns me, and it still concerns me. Why does the church cuddle up to the enemy? We seem, we seem more worried about offending Hollywood and politicians than we are about offending God. This is the struggle. We see this in the struggle um, for what the, Bible calls, what the Bible calls for biblical marriage. Um, Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 20, Romans chapter 1, marriage is between a husband and a wife. I was just pretty clear on that. Um, we see the church shifting on that. But the Bible never shifted. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. The Bible's been clear on that. We see churches shifting on that. Um, it may not be politically correct. may not be popular. may anger people. I didn't write this book, but I think it's correct. And I can't get around the line. It doesn't matter how many friends. I have lots of friends that this doesn't. In fact, I would argue that most of my friends uh, aren't Christian and disagree with me on that. And that's a shame, but at the same point, my goal isn't to please them. I still want them to be my friends. I want to show them Christ-like love. 
I'm not going to hit them up the head with a Bible every day and say you're going to hell, but I want to please God. I've seen Christians, you have too, Christians attack other Christians for being biblical. Christians attack other Christians for being biblical. Um, when we are willing to default attack this book and say, well, maybe this book is the one that's wrong, we don't have a foundation left. Um, we're, we don't want to cuddle up to the world. We want to draw closer to God. And so we keep, we keep reading. In Nehemiah chapter 13 and start with verse 10. But I want to ask the question and move on to, to the next question I want to ask. And it's a, it's a drastic shift in subjects. Why, Nehemiah's question to the people, why aren't you providing for the ministry of God, for the, for the house of the Lord? So chapter, chapter 13, verse 10. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. And so I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? And then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant. Because these men were considered trustworthy, they were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their brothers. Remember me for this, O my God. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. You ever hear the old saying, what if we had a, I don't remember who answered, who asked it originally, but I've heard it. What if we had a war and nobody showed up? The point being there'd be no war, right? Um, Probably a little bit on our, I keep hoping, won't, won't the Russians just go home at some point? Why can't we just, just go? I'm not praying for anybody to die. I just pray, keep praying, God, just let the Russians go home. Let's just call this war off. What if we had church and no one showed up? And we can think that that's a silly question, but around the country, churches are struggling with a low attendance. Lower and lower and lower. And what does it take to keep the lights on? I know of a church back in Illinois, not the one that I preached at, I want to be very clear, but they were struggling to keep the, the lights on. They were struggling to keep the ministry done. So they made a plea to the church. They, had a, they said, we're going to take up a special offering next week because we just need a little bit more than what we've been giving. And they passed the plates for the special offering and did not get a single penny. That church has no future. What happens when... We have church, and no one cares about church. Um, we are required. Our, the church is not all about money. We should not be money-focused. I want to be very clear. I'm very grateful to, the, to what the church offers my family. Um, not only do you pay me a salary, you let me live in the property next door. And I want to be very clear when we pass this plate, I don't get a commission. <laughs> if the giving goes up, I, I'm not on commission. So this sermon has nothing to do with me trying to bring in more money so that I see more money and you guys pay me delightfully. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be rich. 
but but it's nice to be comfortable and not worry and that's exactly where you guys put me at uh and i and i love that and i'm very grateful i want to i want to be very clear on that you guys have taken amazing care uh, of my family but well well beyond that there are ministries that we want to do with church with vbs with taking the kids to camp um taking care of you know the church the church is helping the kids uh, financially get get into camp this year it's wonderful church camp can change lives we have missionaries we have that board back there that has all of our missionaries on there that we support um it's not all about money, but it takes money to do things, doesn't it? It's your life, too. You don't want to be money-focused, but you want enough money to be able to put food on the table, keep the power on. These things matter. Uh, God, does God care? He does care. I, I don't care. I never want to know. I don't. Today is the first time I've touched an offering plate perhaps, <laughs> in passing the offering. But I, I never want to know what you give. It's none of my business. It's between you and God. Um, but it is between you and God, and God cares. And the Bible has a fair amount on finances, on being faithful to the finances, in our finances. Your wallet tells your priorities. Uh, Ezra had the same issue. Ezra discovered that the problem was that nobody was giving to the Lord's house anymore. And in neglecting the Lord's house, there were the Levites who served the temple of God, and if they didn't have any money coming in, they couldn't serve the temple. And so the Levites went back to work. I I suspect that this was an ongoing problem. I remember uh, when we read about King uh, Jotham and uh, the boy king and when Josiah, it's Josiah, uh, and they find the Bible. They'd lost it for an entire generation. And you think, how could, I think think there were no Levites, I think nobody was giving to the temple, and so all the Levites left the temple because they had to eat, and they went back to farming and doing their thing. I think that this was a thing that the people of Israel struggled with often. Um, When the Lord's house is empty, it's hard for his servants to get the work done. God's gospel will be proclaimed. We can see this at the in the back of the book, that, that the times get tough, but the gospel will be proclaimed. The question isn't whether or not somebody is going to share the gospel. The question is, do we get to be a part of it? Because if we're not faithful to this church and our finances, bluntly put, then God will pick somebody else, and someone else will reap those blessings. That's not health and wealth gospel. I'm not saying give and you will be richer. I would, you know, I appreciate that Mark brought up the example of the of the of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence. And what we know of those 56 men is that mo- a, a sizable portion of them, I want to say a majority of them, died in poverty. They did give up just about everything. Some of them were killed. And many of them died in poverty. But it, So I don't want to make you a promise. Give your money to the church and you will become richer. I'm not making that promise. I don't. If you give 10% of what you make to the church, you may now be living on 90%. In my life, when I tithe, somehow the math seems to work better. Um, But that may not be the case for you. But I know when I show God that my priorities are right, I do know that God blesses me. There's an inner peace. I know that I'm right with God. I know that I'm helping uh, do my part of sharing the gospel. Um, God blesses those who give back to him. All right, let's keep reading. Uh, My third question, my third question. Now we've talked about giving. Let's talk about the Lord's Day. Why do we, uh, Nehemiah's question, why do you guys dishonor the Lord on the Lord's Day? 
And so we look at verse 15. Nehemiah 13, verse 15. In those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah. And I said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same thing, the same things, so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. And from that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. It's an old joke. You've all heard it a thousand times. I still love it. Preacher decides to play hooky, tell his elders he's sick, goes golfing. The angel's in heaven. God, this is despicable. God says, I got this. First hole, he gets a hole in one. The angel said, God, and he said, I got this. Second hole, hole in one. The angel says, God, you're encouraging him. Third hole, hole in one. At the fourth hole in one, the angel said, God, this is not going to... God says, who's he going to tell? Okay, I like the joke. You guys don't. A day for the Lord is to be... On, is, it's not honored anymore by very many people. Now, let me say, first off, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Sunday. It's a murky day. It's miserable weather. Nobody wanted to come outside in this cold... It's July. Why is it a cold rain in July? Appalachia. Uh, you guys are here, and I'm not putting guilt trips on anybody that isn't here. Okay, I don't believe that if you feel guilty, you should come to church. I don't, I don't like, guilt trips don't bring people to church. Um, and our faith is supposed to be a joy. But people come to church when they get around to it. And I don't think that their schedules honor the Lord. Some people, some people skip Sunday school, they only come to church. My previous church, people would come for Sunday school and they'd go home. I mean, like a lot of people would come to Sunday school and then go home and not stick around for worship. I'll tell you as a preacher, that, that's an awkward feeling. When people, yeah, they don't want to hear me. They came for their Sunday school teacher and then they went home. That, that, that'll be a blow to your ego. Um, but, and then we, but even when we come for all of it, we go home, we get back to a business. We, we kind of treat church as, okay, i got to get this done. Now I can kind of get back to life as normal. Uh, we are often more anxious about what we're going to do in the afternoon. And is the preacher going to get out? And we started late. I'd like to point that out today. When, when are we going to get out? You know, let me be clear. I'm not saying that you can't be worried about what you're going to fix for lunch. Um, travels plans later in the day. Jesus points that out to us. 
but the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus points out, we, you know, if an animal falls into a hole, he's not being legalistic. If you have an animal that falls into a hole on the Sabbath day, yeah, you're not supposed to do work. Get the animal out. You know, I feed yourself, pump gas, eat out. Be grateful to the people that work, had to work on Sunday. If you eat out, they couldn't take the day off work. I don't consider this a day off, right? And Nehemiah knew this. Um, but he posted guards with swords, and that would have been work. These were The guys with swords that were guards had to work on the Sabbath. But the people were neglecting the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, that was the Sabbath. The church doesn't meet on Saturdays. We meet on Sundays because we honor the Lord's resurrection. But we take the Sabbath principles and apply them to the Lord's day. I guess what I'm saying is don't let a busy schedule crowd out your time for God. You're only punishing yourself if you do that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The Hebrew writer tells us, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I don't want to force anybody to do it, but... but but I hope that you can see and find the joy in getting together. And some days it's not as joyful as others. That's anything that we do. There are hobbies that we do that some days not as fun as other days. The church is more than a hobby. Um, your, the way that we talked about spiritual milk earlier, the way that babies gurgle for milk is what my, and, and the way when I'm hungry that my stomach gurgles for food is what I want my mind to do when I'm starved from the Lord's house. Um, I want the Lord as much as my stomach wants food. Prayer, scripture, King David says, zeal for your house consumes me, and I want to be that. All right, let's finish up the chap- Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had... Oh, the question I want to ask going into this. Why, why do we give in to culture? instead of stand apart. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Ashdod is one of the Philistine cities. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I, I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like this that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you two are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joiada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Remember them, O my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. And so I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provisions for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, O my God. So I had a friend that I went to Bible college, a former roommate, that ended up in youth ministry. And kind of got scolded 
uh, ultimately got, got, I think he got fired from his church. He was asked by one of our, one of our common friends, you never speak with the kids on sexual purity, ever. Why is that? And his response was, well, I already know they're all having sex, so what's the point? <sighs> Talk about surrendering to culture, and, and in that case, and sin. If we're doing something sinful, I don't care if we're all doing it. We need to hear about it. It's not a democracy. The Bible is always right, and we can all say the Bible's wrong, but it isn't. Um, we live in a time when the world is getting further and further from, away from the word of God. You would think that this means that the church is increasingly out of step with the world, but so many churches are desperate to keep up with the world that they will increasingly... We, we, I told you what I believe. Inerrant, sufficient, infallible, authoritative, divinely inspired, universal and unique to all mankind. And I know too many preachers that would say we don't believe all that in town that say that we don't, we don't believe that the Bible is all that. And that undermines the ministry of the church, what we can preach, the authority that we preach with and teach with, and undermines why people need God or why they need to read this book. Uh, too often, there's, the churches look too much like the world. We don't stand out or stand up for the truth. The first time Ezra heard about this, he tore his clothes. We read about that. Pulled out his beard. Now Nehemiah did the same thing to them. Tore their clothes, pulled out their hair. Because it's years later and it's still going on. They still haven't learned. And again, I will say that God is not a racist. The issue, and and I love foreign languages. But the Bible existed in the Hebrew language back then. And the people that weren't learning it weren't learning the word of God. There was no reason living... Israel was tiny at this time. People could live anywhere on earth they wanted, if they wanted to get to. Israel back then was the size of Randolph County. Demanding, we want to live in this tiny area that the Persian king has given back to you guys. And we're going to live there and do our own thing. You could just move five, ten miles and do your own thing. Nobody was making the Israelites be Israelites. People left Israel all the time. Most people didn't come back. It was a remnant that came back. 90%-ish of the Israelites stayed in Babylon. They liked being Persians. At that point, it wasn't Babylon anymore. It was Persia. They liked being Persians, and nobody made them come back. They were allowed to do that. We're talking about the people that said, we want to come back and be Israelite. But maybe not that Israelite. And that was the problem, was this wishy-washy version of being an Israelite. They couldn't marry whoever they wanted and still be Israelite. They couldn't worship whoever they wanted and still be an Israelite. You can't live your way and demand to call yourself God's people and demand God's blessings. And that still applies to us. We can't do whatever we want to and call ourselves Christian and expect God's blessings. It doesn't work that way. Do we keep the law of God or will we cave into culture and sell out the God that saves us? See, my fear is we don't get the importance of God think we take him for granted if we made him top priority i think we would change and he has to be top priority not just any priority our hymn of decision is hymn number 343 time to evaluate nehemiah says remember me with favor oh my god can we ask that same question can we can we say that as well to god remember me with favor 
Dare we ask that? Will we take steps in our life to get that, that we know that God will remember us with favor? We are called to follow God 100% and nothing less.